0: You are listening to Everyday Evidence presented by the American
1: Occupational Therapy Association, helping the occupational therapy practitioner apply evidence to practice. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg.
0: Okay, on today's episode, I am joined by pediatric occupational therapist, owner of Pillar Child Development, chair of the Sensory Integration and Processing Special Interest Section at AOTA, and now recurring guest on the show, Amy Piller. Thanks for coming on the show again, Amy.
1: Yeah, thanks Matt for having me. It's a pleasure to be back and um, I appreciate the invite for a second time to be on the podcast.
0: Absolutely, we're very excited to have you on again. Um, Last time we discussed evidence-based practice in pediatric occupational therapy. Um, So I wanna invite all our listeners to listen to that episode um, if they're interested. Uh, And today we're going to discuss your work with Choosing Wisely and the Reflex Integration Program recommendation specifically. We have an episode with Glenn Gillen providing more background on Choosing Wisely and the webinar that was given with the release of the latest Choosing Wisely recommendations. So, again, pointing listeners to access those resources as well. Um, But to start us off, Amy, can you give us a brief introduction to what Choosing Wisely is?
1: Yeah, sure. So Choosing Wisely is an initiative by the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation, and it really just goes across all areas of healthcare. So AOTA has taken part in this initiative, and its goal is really to promote conversations between practitioners and patients so that patients can better choose care that is evidence-based and more cost-effective and not repetitive um, and not harmful. And so now uh, AOTA has issued 10 Choosing Wisely statements uh, and recommendations, and they kind of cross all areas of practice. So, And these were developed um, through a three-phase process, uh, and all of them had input at each of those phases from occupational therapy practitioners themselves. So they're pretty relevant to exactly what we do in practice. That's also sometimes important, I think, to know that they're all written in the negative, as in like, do not do something. So it's important just to uh, know that that's the way the Choosing Wisely initiative was set out. So if it seems strange that it's negatively written, that is um, the design of the program.
0: Yes, I know in, in occupational therapy, we generally swing to using more positive language, but that is how Choosing Wisely is phrased. And part of it, I think, can, can make these recommendations um, even more powerful and, and attention grabbing. Uh, what What really motivated you to be a part of the Choosing Wisely initiative?
1: Well, I think it's a great initiative. I'm really excited to see AOTA be a part of it. Um, and kind of, I think it's very important for healthcare in general, and just to see the OTs taking a role in that and being a part of that big collaborative effort is great. And I first actually got involved in the first set of Choosing Wisely recommendations, one through five, um, when Choosing Wisely number two came out, and I had been working with the AOTA Knowledge Translation Toolkit team, and I was also with the technology coordinator on the SIPSIS again. So, the SIPSIS had been asked to kind of issue some additional clarification and tools and resources on Choosing Wisely number two. So that's how I got um, involved with initially with Choosing Wisely. I helped with that document, which is a really great document to help um, translate that recommendation to practice. And then as since I was kind of working with some other things, I was asked to kind of give some input on. Uh, these latest Choosing Wisely recommendations as they related to pediatric practice. So I did that. And then this summer, I was asked to participate in the summer series on Choosing Wisely to discuss um, number eight, which is what we're going to be discussing a little bit further today.
0: Yes, yes. And you mentioned already that Choosing Wisely as a whole was developed with member input. It it really is a member driven grassroots initiative uh, with the recommendations being selected through AOTA member responses to a survey that received nearly 5000 responses. So a lot of input there. Um, what was your role in the development process for recommendation number eight, um, which you mentioned? Uh, And that recommendation is don't use reflex integration programs for individuals with delayed primary motor reflexes without clear links to occupational outcomes. And I know that was a very long question, so I'll just repeat it again. What was your role in developing that recommendation?
1: So I participated in the surveys, like I think a lot of practitioners and probably listeners did as well. And then when it came time for the uh, development of those recommendations, I was involved in kind of that review process. And then when they went back to the panel, I reviewed them again and just giving feedback on on that recommendation to get it to its final state where it is today.
0: Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and take a deeper dive into that recommendation now. Um, can you start us off and tell us more about reflex integration
1: yeah and if it's okay man I, I think the statement that aota issues um is important to hear and how it's described so if it's okay i'll just take a minute to read that and then i'll kind of describe a little bit about reflex integration perfect so uh we've uh AOTA has defined this as interventions designed solely to integrate retained reflexes do not promote participation and occupation and while they may be observed in clients without with difficulties in occupational performance. The presence of retained reflexes does not necessarily equate to functional impairment. If reflex integration techniques, such as techniques designed to integrate or inhibit primary motor reflexes that are retained beyond the typical development stage of integration, are being considered for intervention, standardized tools and assessment approaches are necessary to connect impairment to occupational performance. Intervention should focus on improving occupational participation and performance rather than solely on reflex integration. So I think that that's lengthy, but it's very well described. A- AOTA has done an excellent job of kind of clarifying um, what that choosing wisely recommendation number eight means. But it's important, too, to just kind of take a look at where did this idea of primitive reflexes and treating them come from, and what's kind of the background on that, and how do we even look at it as occupational therapists, therapists in the first place? So the consideration of of residual postural reflexes are really used to be and originally developed in the field of sensory integration as related to um, evaluating whether a child had sensory processing difficulties or not that was very early work by Jean Ayres and the poorly integrated reflexes were considered to be part of uh, sensory processing difficulties but this is still pretty controversial even to this day even more so it's not typically considered part of the standard sensory motor evaluation anymore. Um, When kind of looking at why was it dropped out, I think there's a few different reasons that could have been. It could be potentially due to time. There's also just kind of some things that maybe we'll talk. There's another way to look at what a postural reflex or residual primitive reflex might mean when we're specifically in sensory integration. But we do know that there is research that shows that if I have a child or a adult or adolescent with primitive reflexes that are not integrated, those are linked to difficulties with learning and behavior. So that's something that we do have some research on, but again, it's kind of important to think about how do I look at this from an occupational performance? So just because they're linked doesn't necessarily mean one equates the other. So that's really important to know when you're thinking or addressing uh, primitive reflexes. It's also important to understand that there could be different schools of thought on how and the role of primitive reflexes. So again, originally, primitive reflexes were considered, if they were extending beyond when the child should have them, that that was a sign of poorly organized cortical areas and a sign of sensory processing difficulties. However, sometimes you can consider that what appears, appears to be a retention of a primitive reflex may not actually be a true reflex. So sometimes we'll see kids with sensory processing difficulties and that have specifically with sensory motor, motor planning, dyspraxia, and they tend to rely on those familiar motor patterns even when they're performing when especially when they're performing novel motor tasks. And sometimes that familiar motor pattern to a child with dyspraxia really looks and is a reflexive pattern. So for example, a child with severe motor dyspraxia might attempt to throw a ball and present with what appears to be an ATNR pattern as the head turns to look at the ball. But when you're passively turning the head to elicit a reflex, no ATNR is is observed. So this could just indicate that the child's using a familiar uh, motor pattern that is a reflexive pattern due to poor praxis skills.
0: That's a wonderful example. And I think this is an intimidating topic. Um, and it's really easy to get lost in the details. Um, but I love your emphasis, um, of tying everything back to occupation and performance, um, which is really the crux of occupational therapy. Um, I do have some questions about reflex integration um maybe some definitions that can help me and and our our listeners. Uh what does it really mean when reflexes are retained?
1: Yeah, so when we're talking about retained reflexes, we're talking about reflexes that are um still present after when they're expected to be developmentally integrated. So a couple of examples um like a rooting reflex that's when a child will turn Towards uh, food when the cheek is stroked. And that's uh, present at birth, but it really should be integrated by three to four months. So I shouldn't see that after that time period. Some of the reflexes that are really, I guess, important when we're looking at reflex integration, especially if I'm thinking from sensory integration, or some of these reflex integration programs are those postural reflexes like ATR. STNR and um, the tonic labyrinth reflex. So those, again, you know, an ATNR is going to assist the baby um, to develop that kind of eye-hand coordination. And it's present at birth, but should be integrated by six months. So if I see those past that kind of expected developmental time, um, that can uh, lead to difficulties or um, could just be a sign of some, some difficulties in integrating reflexes.
0: And, and you mentioned in, in your example that uh, sometimes patients will will develop familiar motor patterns. Um, is it necessary to integrate reflexes to facilitate occupational performance? Um, or what can kind of happen if those reflexes don't integrate um, around that, that timeline?
1: Yeah, so that's a really great question because when we look as occupational therapists, we have to do a lot of assessment and evaluation to determine why our clients might have difficulties in occupational performance. And so sometimes I'm looking at reflex integration our reflexes or presence of them to see if they are. uh, But I really am more concerned if that impacts occupational performance. So it's, let's think about reflexes first. They serve as a foundation to motor development. So we know that they're very important, but they're also protective in nature. So they're really, I do want to see them when I'm evaluating an infant, I'm really looking for, are these reflexes present? That's very important. As the central nervous system reaches maturity, then the higher cortical levels tend to inhibit those reflexes. So if I do see a child with, um, say, some brain damage, such as in a TBI or a stroke or cerebral palsy, we may still see some primitive reflexes. So an example of that might be if a child has CNS damage uh, or the CNS development is impaired, then the child may exhibit some primitive reflexes because they have poor maturation of postural. Uh, Mechanisms, And so I need to be careful as an occupational therapist to really look and say, do reflexes inhibit occupational performance? Are they just a sign of something I'm looking for? Do they facilitate occupational performance? I really need to make sure that I'm not just looking for the reflex for no purpose, just to see if it's there. I need to link it to something. Because the presence of a permanent reflex doesn't necessarily indicate functional impairment. I really, if I'm just going to be uh, targeting an intervention of integrating primitive reflexes, it doesn't really take into account uh, functional impairment or functional outcomes. And so that's really not who we are as occupational therapists, right? We're really interested in participation and improving occupational performance. And so we, if we don't consider those outcomes in our intervention, then I'm not really doing what occupational therapists are supposed to be doing and they really shouldn't be doing them. Uh, I need to make sure there is a link between what I'm seeing and an occupational performance and what I'm treating and occupational performance. So programs that are designed for the sole purpose of integrating reflexes should shouldn't be implemented. And it's important to note too that primitive reflexes may actually serve a functional purpose for some of our clients and so the integration of those reflexes could cause a decrease in occupational performance.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. What, what are some tools or assessments that, that you recommend practitioners can use to address or measure or screen for um, reflexes, um, but also help practitioners tie that to occupation?
1: Yeah. So when we're looking, again, if we're thinking in the kind of framework of sensory integration and I want to look at a sensory motor evaluation, we're always in that realm thinking about proximal and distal outcome measures. So I do have quite a few sets of things that I'm going to evaluate from a sensory processing standpoint. I'm trying to see how the brain is processing sensory information based on a subset of different behavioral responses or actions that I have the child perform. And so in a traditional SI, that's where that evaluation of primitive reflexes came into play. Again, it's not typically done as much anymore in a a traditional sensory motor evaluation. Some practitioners do still um, test for those. Some do not. Um, But it does indicate that that there is some difficulties in sensory processing. Now, it shouldn't, again, be done alone. That's one of many clinical observations that therapists will do to assess and determine where difficulties might be. Um, And that's just to determine like, where's my difficulties? Is this a problem in sensory processing and integration? And that's what those are designed to look for. That does not, I still need to link it to occupation. I still need to look at participation uh, and occupational performance. So I might determine in my sensory motor evaluation where I have difficulties in sensory processing And then I'm going to say, how does this impact, say, play skills? How is this impacting this child's social participation? How is it impacting his or her ability to perform their ADLs? So I can use assessments like the PDCAT or the REAL. Um, I can look at some of the subtests on the SPM. Uh, Lots, of course, in pediatrics, we're always very interested in the family experience. So lots of qualitative data on how are things going with the family and the child. So those are just a couple of examples.
0: Wonderful. We've mentioned the, the recommendation a couple times. Don't use reflex integration programs um, without clear links to occupational outcomes. Um, I, I wanted to ask what uh, some typical interventions may look like um, that partic- practitioners may be using to address reflex integration and occupational outcomes. Um, could you give us some examples of, of what intervention may look like? Uh, maybe one example of A bad implementation where it's not linked to an occupational outcome, and one uh, that would be a, a positive example? We'll get back to our interview right after this quick message. You all know we really try to make research more consumable and applicable on everyday evidence. But did you know that just one minute of your time could help us to improve the show, improve the resources the American Occupational Therapy Association provides for practitioners, and improve the application of evidence to practice? within our whole field. Please take our one minute survey. It's only three questions and you can find the link in this and every episode's description and support the AOTA in continued efforts to improve our podcasts and to improve the translation of research to practice. Now back to the interview.
1: Sure, yeah, and um, again, I think when you're looking at the reflex integration, you really need to think about where is my functional outcome so when I've evaluated if i've if I look at a practitioner who is has noticed that there's maybe some a child using reflexive patterns, that therapist may think to themselves and. This could be a truly reflexive pattern. This child has a poorly integrated reflex, or maybe they have difficulties in just motor planning and they're really utilizing those familiar motor patterns. If I'm thinking specifically under that kind of sensory integration framework, um, because we do see primitive reflexes in other areas of practice, but spend a lot of time today talking about it from that sensory integration piece, because that's where a lot of these standalone reflex integration programs come from um, and that's why I'm spending a lot of time on it today and it's really kind of the important to consider with this choosing wisely recommendation so if I'm I'm looking at a child that has and I've potentially poorly integrated reflexes whether that is that are reflexive motor patterns that are impeding um, occupation the first thing that I'm going to do from is I want to improve that sensory processing you know my theoretical basis says that I need to help Integrate these sensories, the sensory input, the brain needs to process that better. I'm using enhanced sensory experiences. I'm working on adaptive responses. I'm trying to improve the way the brain processes sensory information so that then I can improve the motor response. So once all of that sensory input comes into the brain, if it's processing it the way it should be, then my motor response will be more accurate, will be accurate to what that stimuli indicates. That's just a quick essay in a nutshell. So I'm gonna start with that. I want to make sure this child is improving in sensory processing. And under a sensory integration theory, we do believe that we can improve sensory processing through those enhanced sensory experiences and eliciting adaptive responses. That's a big part of it. Um, The next piece then is really I'm looking like, what does this reflexive pattern do? Is this causing the child to not be able to ride a bike? Is this causing the child not to be able to play sports? What is that? That's that link to occupation. If I wanted to say, oh, this child seems to be presenting with an 18R pattern and I don't see any functional difficulties with that motor piece, then I don't need to just integrate the 18R pattern what I need to do is look and say, like, is this impacting this child's ability to play on the playground? Now he can't climb as well as the other cl- kids can, or maybe he's not playing ball with the other kids. Then I want to focus on improving that motor pattern uh, so that the child can participate in those activities. Um, if I look way back in um, the very original works of Jean Ayers, she does have uh, reflexive, reflex-inhibiting positions. And to be honest, when I was like kind of preparing for this podcast, it had been a long time since I had looked at some of that really, really early work. And so it was interesting to go back and see that those were in her early work. Um, so not that it's a bad thing. But as we always know, that's not where we stop. We always are thinking like, does this how do I integrate this into improving a child's performance. So in that piece, I'm going to be working, like I said, improving sensory processing, and then I'm going to be working on whatever motor pattern that that child needs to improve. So if I'm moving reflexively, I need to help that child learn to move out of that reflexive pattern by implementing, you know, practice and some motor learning theories and things like that in order to improve that motor piece as I've improved that sensory processing.
0: I love that. Thank you for detailing that. I I love your in, uh, emphasis on the importance of linking um, these these reflexes to occupational performance. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to learn all the reflexes, to know how to screen for them, and and identify them in um, children that that a therapist or or OTA is is working with. Um, but it's another to really link it to occupation, to make it meaningful and to uh, really get at what we're supposed to be doing as, as OT practitioners. Um, what are some recommendations you can give to help practitioners identify that link and to constantly be identifying that, that link?
1: Well, that's the fun part of, of being an occupational therapist too, right? So we get to look at these wonderful um, clients and they come to us with such great uh, skills and things that we need to look at, but they also come to us because they have problems or difficulties in participation or occupational performance. And so we want to help them with that. And if I can see what I'm trying to do is to really look at where's your challenges in participation. And of course in pediatric practice, we're looking at that from the standpoint of the child themselves, um, as well as what the family uh, deems as a challenge to participation. So when I'm looking at and assessing those things, I'm also trying to determine what's the underlying cause of this difficulty in participation. And then sometimes that can be sensory processing. Mm. Um, Sometimes it can be that sensory uh, integration and, and motor planning piece. Like we've talked a little bit about today, and sometimes it can be something else. And I do need to address to determine which one it is. That's actually choosing wisely. Recommendation number two talks a lot about evaluating Uh, sensory processing needs. And it does have this great, uh, we did create this great chart that helps you distinguish like, is this truly a sensory processing difficulty? Or is it something else, a motor difficulty or a visual, visual difficulty? What other things that might be? And so it's important for us as a practitioner to make sure that we are doing the right assessments to determine what the underlying factors are that might be impeding this child's participation. And then also really diving into participation and occupational performance to make sure that as we're implementing our interventions, they're directly related to those areas of occupational performance that that child and family wants us to focus on.
0: When you're working with uh, children, Amy, what what types of questions are you asking the family to, to identify these difficulties? And, and from that interview, uh, what kind of is your process to, to design an, an intervention?
1: Yeah, so, you know we utilize lots of different methods of assessment and evaluation. I think that's a beauty of OT again. You know, we have so many ways that we can assess things. And in pediatric practice, oftentimes our kids come to us with just a very broad reason for referral. They're just having trouble in general, right? So I need to try to figure out not only where this child's having difficulties in occupational performance, but also um, what's most important to the family. So that honestly is my first open-ended question is, what are your main concerns? And then usually from there, that parent is going to tell me what is their biggest barrier uh, to doing the things that they want to do, either their child or their uh, or as a family unit. And so that gives me a good springboard to ask follow-up questions. Now, of course, we also, like I said, utilize some standardized assessments, maybe the REAL or the PDCAT, so we can really see like different areas of occupation that might be an area of difficulty for the child. Um, we have other occupation-based assessments that we use too, but then we also want to make sure to determine what's most important to the family. So I always try to utilize that kind of interview process to figure out what's most important to the family. And then from there, I'm also, again, like we discussed, I have to determine where why this child's having these difficulties in occupational performance. And so once I've determined those through the assessment process, I can develop my intervention plan. And in a case of a child that's maybe having some significant behavior or learning or motor difficulties, and I do see that it's related to sensory processing and maybe he is using very reflexive patterns, I can develop that intervention um, utilizing our great rich theory we have in N.O.T. as well as our evidence to address those sensory processing difficulties to improve motor planning and to improve, um, just motor performance in general through a lot of our, our different theories of sensory integration and motor learning, as well as just a developmental frame of reference as well.
0: Absolutely. And then every plan is going to look different. Every intervention is going to look different. Um, based on, um, you know, the, the, child that, that you're working with, uh, which I think is another uh, benefit and really beauty of occupational therapy. Um, could you give an example? I know you mentioned earlier using enhanced um, sensory experiences um, as part of uh, sensory integration interventions. Could you give an example of maybe one of those that um, could be helpful for a child?
1: Yeah. And I think this is important to, you know, that I think that the sensory therapist loves the swing, but then it's like, why do we do the swing and what are we working on with the swing? And there's lots of different things that we do work on, but the real intent of that piece of equipment is that it's suspended equipment provides a lot of vestibular input, right? So that's an enhanced sensory sensation. Now, again, I'm not looking and Uh, for just that stimuli, I want to elicit the adaptive response. And that's what comes into uh, importance when I'm looking at um, if a child does exhibit some things with reflex integration problems, or perhaps if they're just having some of those motor planning difficulties, I need to provide those enhanced sensory experiences in certain ways depending upon the child so that I do have an adaptive response and that child is participating and has improve the motor performance and which is actually improving that response to sensory stimuli. So I know that, that we talk a lot or a lot of sensory therapists talk about swings, but that is why we actually use them.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Like you said, it's so important to to tie every, you know, intervention or technique to that adaptive response, um, which, which gets at helping um, in occupational performance. Uh, do you have Uh, some more considerations or recommendations that could help practitioners uh, focus on improving occupational performance and participation when working with clients who have reflex integration difficulties?
1: Yeah, I think one of the most important things to remember with the reflex integration is there are a lot of standalone programs out there uh, that focus on or claim to be focused on integrating Poor poorly integrated primitive reflexes, um, many of those are not not owned or operated or implemented by an occupational therapist. Um, most of the time, I think they're not really clear on what the reflex integration process does. They only can look, they really more focus on that. Well, we know these kids have difficulties with learning and behavior, and we see that they have poorly integrated primitive reflexes. So because we see both, if we integrate reflexes, then we'll see better performance of behavior and learning. We don't have a lot of research that, or any research that I'm really aware of that shows that, at least not a lot of strong research. And that was not the intent, or at least I don't believe was the intent, when Gene Ayers um, first introduced the reflex integration as part of those screening tools for sensory processing difficulties. So if I'm, as an occupational therapist, I need to be very, very clear that I have the knowledge base and the theory and the evidence that supports the underlying reasons for those difficulties in learning and behavior um, that we sometimes see in these kids that might be identified as having a poorly integrated reflex. No one else has that framework. No one else has that theory and no one else can implement it quite as well as we can. Um, And then, of course, on top of all of that, our focus is on occupation. We do want to see that improved performance. And we believe that that's important to also directly address. I'm not just going to address this underlying issue and expect that uh, everything's going to work out and participation is going to improve. Some will improve, but I also need to make sure that. Am I actually putting that into context? Am I making sure that this child has the supports and the understanding um, to do the things that he wants to do? Not just that. Oh, look, check that off. He's now not exhibiting an AT&R pattern anymore.
0: I love that. Thank you for that um, explanation. It's this can be a like I mentioned earlier an intimidating and and sometimes controversial topic. It's so important to to be a, a good consumer of research and be wary of of what types of programs um and interventions we're we're using as practitioners what resources would you recommend to listeners who would like to learn more about reflex integration
1: so i guess a couple of years ago there was a great article i think it was uh 2019 there was a great article put out um as an AOTA continuing education article, and it was the neurodevelopmental soft science um, implications for sensory processing and praxis assessment. And there were two parts to it, and that had a really great, I think, just succinct review of where did this come from? Why do we even look at primitive reflexes? Why do we not uh, look at them as much anymore? And then that also helps to make sure to determine, and when I'm, especially when I'm sometimes having to address these questions from parents or physicians or non-occupational therapists about, well, what about this reflex integration program? It's like, well, let's remember that just because we have a sign doesn't mean we have a cause. And we really need to be looking at the whole child and where the difficulties are. And so just solely looking at reflexes and integration of reflexes and just looking at um, integrating them really is not who we are as occupational therapists and really doesn't have any backing to it to show that it's going to be what this child needs or improve that learning and behavior. So that's a great article um, and it's pretty short and easy to read. So if anyone's looking for just some good information on that, I would suggest that article. Um, of course, you know, I had to, I went back all the way to um, Gene Ayers' Sensory Integration and Learning Disorders, which was the book before sensory integration in the child. And um, there's some, that's where kind of, I think that's where most of the original work is. I'm sure there's others before that, but probably the main book that most of us would be able to get our hands on is there. Um, and so that was very interesting for me to go back and revisit that as I prepped for this podcast. It had been a long time since I had read that that book in that section. So it was good to kind of describe um, where that fits into the whole theory. And then, as you can see, the theories have, theory has evolved over time. We've really taken our time to look at many different areas. We are very clear now in the SI world to make sure that we look at proximal and distal outcome measures, as well as assessment of those, so that we do always link those difficulties to occupational performance. And so those are just, it's it's fun to go back in history and see where things came from, and also to see how it's evolved into something um Better. And as we continue to learn and grow as as practitioners and as a profession, and we will probably continue to um, modify and change um, to meet the needs of our client.
0: Absolutely. I love that. Um, thank you so much, Amy. Um, any other resources you'd like to mention or point listeners to, um, again, related to reflex integration or the Choosing Wisely campaign?
1: Well, AOT has a great section on, on choosing wisely. So I encourage all practitioner, practitioners to take a look at that. Again, one thing that's really great about this specific number eight, which is what we're talking about today, is it does give us uh, as a profession something to take to other um, professionals, parents, teachers, physicians, about those reflex integration programs that are out there that are maybe not run by an OT um, and Really to say like, hey, you know, the reason why this is not something we recommend or something that we should do or something that we think is part of who we are as OTs is because there is no link to occupational performance. So I don't know. I know in in my area of the of this. World, We have had some difficulties with kind of scope of practice and looking at those things with some of these places that focus on reflex integration. And so now having this issued officially from AOTA has really been a great tool for us to take that to um, and educate our potential consumers and referral sources about what makes occupational therapy unique.
0: Absolutely. I love that. That's a a good take home message as well. Don't get lost in the sauce with reflex integration. It's not about reflex integration, it's about improving occupational performance.
1: It's exactly right. And that's what we do as OTs. And we have lots of different things that we have to look at and consider. And, but at the end of the day, that's also the most amazing part of our job is that we do get to help, you know, kids and adults, everyone improve their occupational performance. And that's pretty special that we get to do that every day.
0: Absolutely. It really is the best job in the world.
1: I would definitely agree.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Um, Amy, so last time you were on the show, I asked you to share a golden nugget, part of our golden nugget segment. Um, so now we get to hear two golden nuggets from you because we're to that part of the show again, um, the golden nugget segment. So Amy, if you could tell practitioners to do one thing, what would it be?
1: Well, to keep in in spirit with what we've been talking about today, uh, always, always make sure that you are not just linking your – treatment to occupational performance, but promoting that. We are such a unique profession. We help people do things that no one else can help them do, and we do it very uniquely. But we don't always tell people what that is, because occupational performance does look different to everyone. It's different in everyone's life. And that's a beauty of our profession. It's hard, though, to define sometimes and describe. But When we are uh, treating as therapists, no matter what setting we work in, if we're always linking that to functional performance and occupational performance, then and our documentation will reflect that. Um, our patients will make improvements in that. And the way we talk with our other, with our interdisciplinary colleagues, we'll be always talking about those occupational performance, which is our specialty and what makes us unique from the rest of the medical world. And so every time you're thinking about an intervention or you're assessing to try to figure out what's going on with the patient, always keeping in mind, how is this linked to occupational performance? And promote that, promote that um, as you are as a profession and how we are helping our